Well, friends, we have a problem that I cannot wait. This is Hole in the Air. Today, our prodigious podcast spotlight shines its happy countenance on a democratic club brimming with virtues and heroes. I breathlessly await what transpires. My ears are already abuzz, and so, without further ado, I, your podcast interlocutor, call on the proceedings to begin. Welcome, everybody. Uh, this is the, I guess, the next episode of our podcast, which we may now call Peshaw, but for the <laughs> moment, it's still whole in the air. Uh, we're really delighted to have some special guests. Uh, as you may know, the L.A. County Democratic Party is the largest county party organization in the country. And the L.A. CDP, L.A. County Democratic Party, has, I think it's 50-plus chartered Democratic clubs. And they're all wonderful, no doubt. But one of the most amazing, legendary, historically transcendent and productive clubs is Stonewall Democratic Club. And today we are joined by its current president, Lester Aponte, and its political vice president, Jane Wishon. Hello. I've gotten names pronounced correctly. Yes, you did. Thank you. We are also joined by Renee Nahum, who is the former political director of the LACDP and a tremendous person with a fabulous husband. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm Paul Michael Newman. So... uh, so it's obviously a, a crucial time in our history. Maybe it always is that, but now it's just uh, shockingly uh, in our face. And that's why it's really critically uh, important to know about, I'd say, the, the activists, the political party activists, the clubs that are really a, a, a vital way of Make, getting things done and really winning the battles that are there to be won. And so uh, without further ado, maybe we can hear from the two of you, especially from Stonewall, Stonewall leadership among the many leaders who are uh, do so much at Stonewall uh, about some of the things that are being done, also about the history of the club, how it got its name, and uh, and what's in store for us as we, uh, as we enter the... Uh, the key year plus, I guess, of the uh, political season leading up to the next presidential election. Well, thank you for your kind words, Paul um, and Renee. <laughs> um, so I joined the Stonewall Democratic Club about 10 years ago now. Um, and at that time, it already had quite a mystique because of all the work that had been done historically. Uh, They got their name from the Stonewall Riots, which was the most famous uprising of LGBT people, uh, which happened in 1969, and it's considered to be the moment that the movement was launched. Uh, So it's a historical event, and actually the Stonewall Inn is a historical uh, uh, monument under federal law. Still, um, knock on wood, that doesn't change. Um, and, you know, was founded by people like Morris Kite, who also founded the, um, uh, LA Pride Parade, uh, and, um, Ivy Bottini and, uh, Jean Cordova, people who were real pioneers. Um, and this was a time where LGBT people basically had no legal protections. 
in California. And they decided that they wanted to work through the political system, through the Democratic Party, um, to improve the lives of LGBT people. Um, and they, uh, from the start, they were troublemakers. Uh, Ivy likes to tell a story about how at the National Convention in 76, they kept um, putting the, you know, stopping the nomination from starting because they didn't want to stop supporting Jerry Brown, um, which was a way to, you know, get some concessions. Um, so over the years, we've done a lot of things like, you know, affect the platform of the Democratic Party here, but also nationally. Uh, we were, for instance, behind getting marriage equality in the Democratic national platform in 2012, although President Obama by this point had said some kind words about the cause, it wasn't the official position of the party until then. Um, so we worked on marriage equality, we worked on, you know, the very first bills that recognized um, equal rights for LGBT people. Um, we've been at the forefront of all the struggles over the years. I do want to just add briefly that Stonewall, the, as you said, the riots uh, in Greenwich Village, the um, uh, Stonewall was a place that was raided and there were riots uh, riot that resulted ultimately out of one such riot, uh, raid. But it's also fair to say that the Black Cat Tavern here in, in Los right, Angeles, in right Silver Lake, down, right, right down, down the street, street from where we are, about a year and a half earlier, had its own uh, historic moment that led to a a, a, a very consequential uh, birth of uh, and burst of activism. Um, so uh, let's go ahead. Next. Yeah, so um, I uh, did not join the club 10 years ago. I think I've joined probably around six or seven years ago. Um, but I did come in as a result of the marriage equality movement. Um, I was national board president for Marriage Equality USA and um, so I, I saw a, national, a natural allegiance and um, a collabor collaborative possibilities with Stonewall Democratic Club. So um, I think one of the, I think, I think Lester really hit the nail on the head. One of the things about this club is that we're always kind of troublemakers. We are activists and grassroots people at heart. Um, we have had members who've gone on to become members of the DNC. We've had members who've gone on to go into the state party leadership. Um, but at, you know, at heart, we are, we're on the ground. And so we work with a lot of groups. We work with pretty much anybody who wants to work with us to try to move the needle on all the issues that pertain not just to LGBT people, but it's also a, a feminist club. So uh, having to do with feminist issues, but all those social justice issues that affect LGBT people more than, than cisgender and straight people. So disproportionate number of LGBT youth, or, no, disproportionate number of youth who are homeless are LGBT. Disproportionate number of people who are underemployed or unemployed are LGBT. A disproportionate number of people um, of color who deal with who are stopped by the police for sex work and things like that. Disproportionate number are LGBT. So there are a lot of social justice issues that we work on as well because housing, everything else affects LGBT people as much or more than than you know the rest of the population. So it's also health care and homelessness and uh, all kinds of quality of life 
issues, but ones that have had a huge impact you have with the members of the club, which includes elected officials, um, includes all, all kinds of people. To go to a meeting of Stonewall is to see and hear people who are very, very, very well informed and wired into uh, whether it's po political uh, understandings or simply just real life uh, matters that, that confront a community on a daily basis, there are a lot of opinions. It can be very freewheeling. Uh, you folks, and it's all volunteer. We're all volunteers. So you folks get to manage a, a, a just a wild time. Yeah. Uh, and I don't envy you one bit for that, but it's, it's of tremendous uh, value. Uh, I think it's also fair to say that um, the history of, of Stonewall as a democratic club has had a, a, a very inspiring uh, uh, impact, if, you, if I can put it that way, on all kinds of progressive causes and jurisdictions when they're considering what stands to take. A lot of times they will learn from uh, Stonewall uh, what matters most and how to, how to evaluate uh, issues and, and, and what's at stake the humanity involved. And it's, it's given the role of California, Southern California, Los Angeles, but California as a whole, in basically helping formulate a lot of the key policy stances of our time in this country. Uh, it's, really, uh, it's really there to be said that Stonewall plays, as I said, a crucial role and and for that, uh, all those volunteer hours and probably some of those squabbles uh, are are really. I, I hope you'd agree worth enduring. So, um, could you, either of you or both of you, give us an idea or like the one or two issues that Stonewall is going to be working on? The main issues coming up into twenty twenty. What what do you see is the most crucial? Well, I, I think we all know what all the important issues are. Homelessness um, and um, equal pay, um, the Equality Act, and therefore, you know, people having protections if they're trans or they're, they're LGBT. Um, all those things are really important. I think that a large part of our focus, however, will be on flipping the Senate and flipping the White House um, and therefore supporting... Um, it. <laughs> You know, I mean, yeah, we're an L.A. County club, but last year we went to Phoenix. We went to Las Vegas a couple of times. Uh, we went to Tucson to support Democrats there because we, we've got to flip these seats. We spent a lot of time in the Central Valley. We spent time in Orange County. We spent time in San Diego County. Um, so, it, you know, we need to hold the seats we flipped last time for Congress. And now we need to flip Senate seats. So we need to, you know, pick up that seat in Arizona. We need to hold the seat, you know, we need to pick up a seat in Colorado. We need to hold some of the other seats that are on the bubble. Um, because as we've seen with the judiciary and the Supreme Court, as long as Trump is, is uh, nominating these people who don't believe in LGBT and feminist rights and are, you know, or, and or racial equality, um, and they're getting confirmed by the Senate, um, then we're, we're in trouble. So I would say we're going to go forward on sort of pretty much the whole platform. There are some specific bills we could talk about, but I probably not of interest. We don't want to be in the weeds that much. Um, for the LGBTQ community, though, I think things like um, 
the health care that's specific around HIV AIDS is important and PrEP and PEP and any listeners who don't know PrEP is um, pre-exposure prophylaxis so going on to viral su- viral suppressing meds before you're exposed and PEP is what you take if you've been exposed and that's like what the police officers and others take as well if, if they've been exposed to to fluids but you know for the lgbtq community to have knowledge of that only like 60 percent of gay men know about these things and then to have access to it um, these are really important that are lgbtq specific and then like i said lgbtq youth being um, homeless and you know uh, all the issues around well all, all the issues surrounding bullying and everything in schools these are all specific to the club um, or in specific to the community, but we go forward on all of the um, progressive issues. And I would like to say that all those issues, you, you mentioned getting into the weeds. I don't know if it's that. I think it's always surprising how many people really are interested in legislation. When they hear about it, a bill that, that seems to be material, uh, people can get excited as well as frustrated when they see what happens sometimes to those bills. But a lot of those issues are discussed on Stonewall's podcast, yes. which is a separate podcast from this one, which is probably still called Hole in the Air. Um, <laughs> we'll maybe vote on it later on or put it to a vote of the Stonewall membership. But Stonewall's uh, podcast... It's called The Spotlight, and it was pioneered by our comms VP, Marcus Lovingood, and Mackenzie Hussman. Hussman. Um, and they do an amazing podcast. They're doing the 10th now, so they started it a year ago. Um, and they've interviewed a variety of elected officials and activists and, um, you know, all kinds of people, members of Stonewall. Um, so it's, it's really great to listen to, and it's found on iTunes. And, and to be clear, Stonewall, the only rule is if you're to be a member, you have to be a Democrat. Correct. Yes, you have to be a Democrat. We have a $25 fee that is waivable uh, for financial hardship. We need money to do all the stuff we do. The the bus to Nevada was not free. Yeah, or (coughs) Um, nor was the bus to Orange County. Right. Um, But, you know, we spent a lot of work time in 2018 mobilizing our volunteers to canvas and text and make calls for candidates here in the congressional districts that were flipped um, <clears throat> and in support of other candidates. And, you know, just last week we were in Sacramento lobbying about a lot of bills that are of important, importance to our community. And we can do that in California because we have a Democratic majority and we have people. I mean, the legislation, it's being introduced by Democrats and, you know, and then we go and talk to other Democrats and tell them you should also support that. Uh, But in Congress, we can't really do that while the Senate is still in the hands of Mitch McConnell. Uh, So it is important for us as as Democrats to make sure that we have a president who is a Democrat and a Congress, both chambers are controlled by our party because Our priorities will never get enacted. For instance, the Equality Act has gone down to defeat year after year for 30 years. And it is still legal under federal law and in most states to discriminate in housing, in health care, in employment on the basis of your sexual orientation or your gender identity. It's perfectly legal in most states. 
Um, and that bill is never going to become law while there's a Republican president and a Republican Senate. But I, I think the point you were making was that you don't have to be, you don't have to identify as LGBTQ to be a member of the Stonewall Democratic Club. In fact, our first straight member was, he's now LA City Council member, it was Paul Caretz in 1975, the year that the club was formed. Um, I am myself an ally. So um, fortunately, they don't discriminate against me. And they let me volunteer and help. Because um, you know what, we're all in this together. And of course, the, the club also makes endorsements. Yes. Which can be a, uh, a wild, can make for a wild night, correct? Um, well, not a, it starts long before the right. night. And I, I welcome, actually, this if we have time yes, to talk please. a little bit about the endorsement process. I don't know whether all of your listeners are involved in Democratic clubs. But um, some clubs do it differently. But what, the way we do it, and it's sort of set in stone, but it, we trust our members and it works. Um, we identify people who are running for office who sometimes they come to us and they ask for our endorsement and then we'll reach out to other Democrats in that race. We send them a questionnaire that asks questions about a wide variety of topics, um, you know, from, um, you know, uh, racial justice issues to uh, environmental issues to LGBTQ issues. Um, and they fill out the questionnaire. We can bring them in with a panel to talk about the, some general questions. And we use that opportunity also to educate. You were talking a minute ago about people, you know, sometimes, for example, right now, law enforcement uses the fact that someone has three or more condoms in their possession as probable cause to arrest them for sex work. So what happens is that, of course, sex workers don't carry condoms because they don't want to get arrested. And so when we were interviewing candidates for the sheriff, for example, that was a key part of our conversation with them. We educated each of the candidates. We do that with all of the city council members we talked to. We talked to now we talk to everybody about that. It's not just an LGBTQ issue. It is a, a justice and a health care issue. Um, but we, again, take the opportunity to, to um, educate the candidates when they come in. Um, and that's just one of the kinds of questions that we ask. So then the panel will come out with a recommendation to the general membership meeting. And we present our recommendation. We present a report on why we recommended that individual. And the membership votes. And a 60% vote of the members present voting members present uh, is required for endorsement and then once we endorse someone we try to support them because we'd like it be, to be worth something you know and I'm not sure about two of you well I think I know the answer to this but um, many people belong to more than one club and or are active in all kinds of other civic and community organizations and political groups uh, so you do have a, a, a really interesting assortment of, uh, of uh, awarenesses, if I can put it that way, uh, that come into play. The, uh, when there's a, an endorsement uh, being made or being debated at a meeting, people will line up to speak <laughs> for one candidate or another, for or against the recommendation that came out of the committee. And, uh, the, and it's always capable of surprising, I'd say me at least, 
what people will bring up because they, what they remember from six years back <laughs> when somebody said something. Uh, it's, it's a room full of people with phenomenal memory, memories. And, uh, and so you just end up hearing a lot of different uh, anecdotes and theories and a lot of political history because people are very alert to uh, the history that's happened and can be forgiving but aren't always so it, it is a it is a matter where uh, there are can, can be barbed commentaries but also very generous understandings reckonings when people who come before them for a possible endorsement uh, are are seeking the endorsement that's appreciated i think and uh, and you you do see just a again a kind of a very strange night sometimes, but a, but a rewarding one, I think. How many members are there? Do we have a, an exact hand uh, on that Well, right we now? currently have about 400 paying members. Actually, uh, I think it's closer to 500 now. Oh, good. Well, yep. that's good news. And uh, Stonewall meets how free? Oh, and you also have non... And then we have a mailing list that goes out to thousands of people. Um, they're not all members. Uh, if you want to vote on an endorsement, you have to have been a member for 56 days before the date of the endorsement. So we can't have, you know. It's like Joe, Joe DiMaggio's hitting streak of 56 games in a okay. row. I'm, I'm sure our, <laughs> we weren't I'm thinking of that. I'm not sure that was why. Well, but. You. No, I, I remember the days when you didn't have that, when people would, and I understand why, and that, thank you for doing that, when there was no waiting period. Mm -hmm. And people would stack a room. A campaign, a, a candidate campaign would, would suddenly there would be a, a oh, horde of new members a horde that, of people that night. You'd never see them again that, that night. But they paid. So, I mean, if people want to do that, they really have to plan ahead now. Yeah, how, how often does Stonewall meet, basically? We meet the fourth Monday of every month. Um, not every meeting is an endorsement meeting, although it seemed like it last year. Well, we endorsed, we interviewed something like 120 candidates and endorsed in over like 70 races last year. So we were busy. And the endorsements uh, oftentimes lead to, well, candidates and campaigns touting the fact that they got the endorsement of Stonewall. And I will say in Democratic circles, including the Democratic Party itself, uh, when it chooses, because that too is an entity that can endorse, the fact that somebody's been endorsed by Stonewall can be a very meaningful factor in their considerations and in the, in the county party's consideration. But also, uh, Stonewall does do slate mailing and, and phoning, uh, right. as well as a lot of volunteer work. So there are uh, there is that kind of outreach, and it can make a difference. Elections, we know, are not always decided by huge margins. And I'm not saying that Stonewall cannot help create a huge margin. Maybe it does. And as I said, the the brand name of Stonewall as an endorser is very significant, but uh, and it helps helps other people who are, are decision makers to decide whether or not they want to go with a candidate or or somebody else. But also, the, the a lot of residents care what Stonewall thinks. A lot of voters, and so it has a, a uh, an impact along those lines too. Um, I, is there a specific bill you want to mention that uh, is out there as kind of an example of of the kind of legislation that uh, that maybe elected officials and their staff uh, hear well, about? Well, the, the prep pep bill, mm -hmm. and I don't remember the name. I should I should have looked it up before I came. So there is a bill right now um, in the Senate, a state Senate, um, which would make 
PrEP and PEP, so the antiviral medication available through a pharmacist without a doctor's prescription. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because um, you have 72 hours after exposure to HIV to get onto the medication, and the time it could take you to make a doctor's appointment and get your doctor to prescribe it, et cetera, could put you outside of the 72 hours. That bill also includes the removal of condom help taking condoms with you being considered probable cause for sex work. So those two things are in one bill that uh, we were lobbying for last week, and it did make it out of appropriations. I don't believe yet that it has been voted on. And then, of course, it goes to the other house. And I'm assuming that most of your listeners know that the way California works is it's a two-year legislative period. And in the first half of both years... Uh, bills are originated in one house or the other, and in the second half of either year, the bill goes, if it, if it is approved by its house of origination, then it goes to the second house for, for conversation, for voting on, you know, sometimes they vote on the same thing, sometimes they have their own version, whatever, and then eventually it goes to the governor's desk. So um, it did make it out of appropriations in the house of origin, and the deadline for that is like next Friday, so uh, I don't know. I'm assuming it's going to be voted on the next few days. So by the time this podcast comes out, it may have already been decided. This is your podcast interlocutor with an update. More than a month has passed since this podcast was recorded. And as of July 2nd, here is a status report on the bill that Jane has described. The state Senate passed the bill, Senate Bill 159, and now it's in the Assembly where it's currently in the Committee on Health, having passed out of business and professions without a problem. For those of you keeping count, it was introduced by Senator Weiner, principal co-authors, Assembly Members Gibson and Gloria, co-authors Senator Glazer and Stone, and Assembly Member Chu. We often uh, support um, Evan Lowe's bills. Um, we often support uh, Laura Friedman's bills. Uh, we often support um, Scott Weiner. There we go, Scott Weiner's. A real leader on healthcare issues. I know <clears throat> there is some controversy over his housing bills, uh, which I don't think we've taken a position on. But uh, on healthcare issues and LGBT issues, uh, Scott Weiner has been a real leader. Uh, one of the biggest issues right now in California is that there's been an upsurge in not just HIV infection, but a number of other STDs. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that when we had a budget crisis, we cut all the prevention programs to the bone. Um, so there's a lot of information that's not getting out to our youth about how to prevent uh, STDs uh, and you know the availability of treatment. Um, so there's a lot of budget requests that have been done to study ways to prevent uh, to and educate people on HIV and hepatitis and a number of other diseases that are actually seeing quite a significant surge in California right now. And if you have one of those diseases and you get you are exposed to a second, then all everything is worse. You, you, the outcomes are worse, the ability to treat it is worse. So um it's really important that all three, the hepatitis, the HIV, and other STIs are all addressed separately and yet together because you, if someone 
when I was I was a case manager at AIDS Project Los Angeles, and and that was the, you know, we always kicked the the people who had multiple um, and uh, conditions up to a, a senior case manager because just everything is harder, just way harder. I would say that uh, again, to, having been to a fair share of Stonewall meetings, <laughs> um, you have a, a really a diverse. A uh, batch of people, but they're also what make. Well, I think what makes Stonewall particularly special is that it's full of passion about politics, but also and and government and society and issues. But it's also compassionate, um, for probably because of the history of the community that uh, really forged, uh, helped forge the path of Stonewall as a political entity. Um, there's a, a sense of, of keen awareness of the vulnerability uh, that people can endure uh, in the society, whether it's regarding health issues or social justice issues or uh, economics and, and housing and, and uh, pollution and gun violence and all kinds of things that can uh, destroy people, uh, threaten certainly people's lives. and. And so any, I, I, I too belong to a number of Democratic clubs, and they're all fine. But Stonewall is where you hear about these kinds of issues that clearly are going to have a huge impact on the people who may fall uh, ill because of, uh, the, of, uh, of the threat of these diseases being out there or, or else will not be adequately protected because society hasn't yet gotten to the point of getting its act together and ensuring that people's health is well regarded and well protected. And Stonewall is at cutting edge on, on all these issues. And I think it's, again, because of the uh, just a, a, a really wonderful sense of compassion. You might see people battling it out furiously in a debate, but I think the motivation is always there to take care of people, to protect them, to, uh, to, to be kind to people, and to make sure that our society is that versus the wretched alternatives that we see sometimes uh, out there in the world. Thank you. Yeah. Um, there's Stonewall, and then there's Young Stonewall Dems. Um, <laughs> You're totally separate, is that correct? We're totally separate. Originally, Stonewall Young Dem Democrats was sort of a, a, a adjunct group of Stonewall, um, and then and we used to do endorsements together and everything else. And the the Young Dem Stonewall Young Dems chose to be separate. They wanted their own identity. They wanted their own you know process. They wanted. Um, there are, and they had their own leadership, but they, they really wanted to forge their own own trail. But there are some who are members of both. There are some um, who are members of both. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I like to refer to it as the velvet divorce because, you know, we're friends. It's not like one day we decided we hate each other and we just don't want to be part of the same organization anymore. Uh, and they do great work. Do they work on the same issue, basic issues that Stonewall? I would say so. I mean, I think a lot of times we find ourselves, you know, sponsor, uh, supporting the same bills or sometimes we endorse the same candidates, sometimes we don't. They do their own endorsements and, you know. Well, we're really lucky right now. Um, in the last couple of years, our legislative program has really stepped up because we got some great volunteers who adore working on this. And so they've taken us sort of to the next level. Um, but I know that, uh, now, and so now we're also working in LA City in municipal 
um, ordinances as well. So, uh, you know, we often find that, you know, Stonewall Young Dems are supporting some of the same things we're supporting. We might not always come at it from the same direction, but I think, you know, I think we all have the same values. Um, we may not always agree, as you pointed out. Some of the meetings are, for Stonewall are kind of, you know, energetic, um, but um, we all have the same values. And there are many Stonewall Democratic clubs across the country, right? Although I think this is Where the, we're the first. first one. Yeah. And so probably almost every state or every state uh, just about um, close to. You know, there are a lot of LGBT Democratic clubs. They're not all called Stonewall. We were the first Stonewall Democratic club, and we are the only one that does not have a geographic designation in its name because we were the first. But here in California, there's one in the Central Valley. There's one in Sacramento. Um, There's one farther north, too. There been After the last convention, two years ago, um, I, a couple of people asked me, how do I start, you know, and they, like somebody wants to start one in Orange County as well. So I walked them through kind of what the process I know, because I helped to start a feminist club recently, and, um, and tell them, talk to their county committee, because, you know, the county committee is going to tell you how to charter and how all that works. But I do think that there are increasing numbers, and I think it's wonderful. And log cabin, <laughs> there is still a Republican uh, gay. There is. It's called the Log Cabin Republicans. And do you ever really? Well, we see us? them at we see them at the Pride festivals, oh. um, and they usually have something really catchy to bring people into their booth. And I'm not sure the people who come into the booth really understand who they are. Um. But, uh, you know, it's, I, I don't, I personally cannot understand how, you know, an LGBTQ person could be a Republican in the current Republican environment. But, you know, everybody makes their own choices. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I mean we see them at events sometimes, you know, like the mayor has a reception every year at the start of the Pride, uh, of Pride Month, which is June. Uh, and they're there, and we're friendly. Um, I don't understand where they're coming. I actually do understand where they're coming from. I, I think a lot of gay Republicans put their economic interest over, you know, the rights of the rest of the community. And if you're comfortable, you know, you live in a mansion and you can hold a fundraiser for Donald Trump, you know, then you really are probably not very concerned about transgender people being kicked out of the military or from public housing or, you know, all the, all the other horrible things that this administration does. Or climate change or even perhaps the actual health of the economy because we certainly believe that some of the policies, right. or maybe all the policies promoted by you know, the if current I, administration If I got a huge helpful. tax cut from the Republicans, maybe I would change my mind. I don't know. That seems to be their motivating factor. So, so talking about the... Uh, president uh, we, we are going into the obviously well at this moment that we're recording this uh, we're still a week plus away from the uh, democratic the state party convention uh, and the first one for the year the first one two. for the year uh, which is late the final day of may i guess in the first day or two of june uh, and Though there won't be an endorsement made on the presidential side of things, um, there will be 
many, most of the candidates, Democratic Party, and even one who's not officially a member of the Democratic Party, last I checked, <laughs> will be coming and, and speaking and, and or... I'm pretty sure he joined the party. I'm pretty sure they said that he had to join the party first before he could run this time. Okay. I'm not wading into that. But um, I guess my my two, maybe my two final questions are, uh, what is, for for Stonewall, what's the timetable, do we know, for considering... uh, First of all, it does make an endorsement. It will make an endorsement on the presidential side? Um, I don't know yet whether we would want to take it up before the convention because you know when you have 22 candidates i I, my guess is we're going to come to no consensus anyway but um the process for us for stonewall is that we do not endorse before the filing deadline for any race unless there's some really important reason that we feel it's in the best interest of the club to endorse early so if there's somebody like a Sheila Kuehl, who is an icon of the LGBTQ community, running for re-election for her third term, we might endorse her early. We did endorse the congressional seats, the congressional, um, the congresspeople that we flipped last time so that we could start work now in those districts and start supporting them so that they can get re-elected, because right now we're just renting those seats. We don't own them. Um, but we would not we are prohibited from taking up anything before the filing deadline i don't know when the filing deadline for president is i haven't looked at it because my guess is again 22 candidates probably going to be no consensus but but the uh, club will be at least open to the possibility of of an endorsement in that race yeah i, I well i'm as the political vp people would i'm always open to listening to what people want to do and i you know I don't see why we would necessarily right. want to do it early or at this point, but no, I, yeah. I, I wasn't so much asking that. I, I yeah, do. it's probably gonna if we choose to do it, it'll probably be closer to when the party's considering the endorsement, the state party convention in November when November. those endorsements are doing, being I done. I don't think th- I don't think the state party takes up. The president. state party does not take presidential, but they'll be endorsing for the March primaries at that time. Um, we haven't always endorsed in the presidential race. Uh, you know, the debate is usually, I mean, the people really care what the Democratic clubs say about the presidential race because that's the one that everybody does pay attention to and has, you know, views on. And, um, and is it really worth it to get into all this very contentious process as it was four years ago? Um, and for an endorsement when we probably won't get a consensus and I'm not so sure that it's really going to matter to people. I mean, we're not going to be able to get, you know, Joe Biden to fly to L.A. to interview with us. So that's part of the complication there. Or the other 21 of them. Or the other. There's actually 24 right oh, now. Sh- okay. I, I do want to mention that uh, there are those of us who actually really applaud a club being very disciplined about uh, refraining from early endorsements, uh, especially before filing closes. There are times when, because of the timetable uh, situations, and also because sometimes you really want to get, get ahead and give someone a boost when they're clearly, clearly, clearly your choice, there's a reason sometimes to do an early endorsement. But just the general principle, I think, is so sound that you want to know who, who's in a field. 
And, and there are clubs that actually really believe firmly in doing a, a, an endorsement process well before the, the filing date is reached. And to me, that's really problematic, uh, generally. So I appreciate that Stonewall uh, has that. I do want to add something of the endorsement process. This is not required by the bylaws, but my practice is to never endorse before the club does. Um, I get calls from candidates, like, will you endorse me? And I'll say, no, the club has to go through this process. I also do not lobby people to vote for one candidate or the other. Uh, so until the club makes his endorsement, I'm quiet about it because I do not want to be seen to be trying to tip the scales. And, and even though we're discussing right now the presidential uh, field on the Democratic side, it's really uh, it's very material to, to note that Stonewall endorses on all kinds of races, for example, judicial, mm-hmm. uh, where there's almost often almost no awareness uh, on the part of the public as to uh, who's in a race. It's a huge, LA is huge in all kinds of ways. And I don't mean huge in the way that Trump uses the word, <laughs> by the way, but maybe that too. But <clears throat> geographically, uh, the number of communities, the number, uh, it's, it's just immense and complex. And when you get to the, I don't even know if I'd want to call it down ballot, but but there are so many races. and And it is really, it's not just important, I think, for the, public and making its choices but it's actually important for the candidates to especially a sheriff or judge or certain posts to have what may be a rare encounter with people who actually take up all the issues and raise questions that might actually be very pertinent to to real life experiences but don't necessarily come up uh, in this more standard political events. I think our most important interviews last time, last cycle, were with the judicial candidates. Um, and we educated the, each and every one of them on issues. And, um, you know, they were there prepared to talk about sentencing and things like that. And we're asking them things like, what do you do when a party in one of the cases wishes to be addressed by a name other than the one that's on the court documents? Because this is a common issue for people who are gender nonconforming or transgender that the court document or their life their birth certificate or whatever says Joe and you know they would like to be addressed as as Mary or something right and just seeing how a candidate the judge candidates handled that question was really great to see whether they first of all got that that's even an issue and these are people who have been in courtrooms for years and if they didn't realize that that's a problem then they were totally out of tune with the lgbtq community um and then the ones who got it were like well what do you recommend i say you know and so i i spent quite a bit of time on the phone with all of the judicial candidates both the ones we we recommended and the ones we didn't helping you know walking through some of those questions afterwards because we didn't want to take their interview time but you know helping them understand because wherever they go in their next walk of life whether they're elected or not these are important things for them to know in the courtroom so we we try to you know i i think we i think we do our best work when we're talking to school boards and judges and sheriffs and things like that we even interview water board um because um, I think perhaps these are people who are less polished or don't have the great 
uh, consultants filling out their questionnaires for them. And they have opportunities to learn, and they want to learn most of the time. And, and that's, that's, that's very much part of what makes you a grassroots organization, that you push forward those kinds of ideas and understandings uh, in a way that maybe reaches people, not just their consultants when they have fancy schmancy, expensive paid operations, but even the people themselves who are, are the candidates. Uh, when Jane brought up that uh, addressing people who might want to be addressed in, a, in, in another gender, um, that was interesting because I did a lot of um, work with the Registrar of Voters um, for the LACDP and it was brought up that uh, poll workers were not educated on if somebody came in and their name is Joe and they said, well, now, you know, they were not, they didn't seem to be that gender anymore. Mm -hmm. And they really do need that training. And that may be something that uh, Stonewall can help. Definitely. With, because it's, uh, it was, it was an issue. Definitely a good people, point. People were turned away. And we want everybody to vote. I mean, exactly. that's what Democrats do. We want exactly. everybody who's qualified to vote to be able yeah. to vote. Yeah. yeah, and those are things that people don't realize, that there are issues at every race and every level of our government that affect our community. Uh, and judges, they don't just deal with criminal proceedings where there are LGBT people who have special needs and special issues that they need to understand. But there's all kinds of other issues. There was a case... Not two years ago, where a teen came to court to try to get her name changed, and the judge was berating her over presenting as a female because she was born male or had the male gender assigned at birth, and he was trying to basically ask this person, "Are you sure this is the right thing to do? Is this just made it sound like this was a you know like just a fad?" Uh, and it was extremely traumatizing to this person. And we wrote a letter to that judge. Um, I don't know if the judge read it, <laughs> um, but at least we got it in the legal newspapers. But, you know, there's a lot of people. People are dealing with the judicial system every day, uh, and they all need to be respected, and they all need to have their needs addressed. And so part of what we do is educating people or running for judge or running for water board, any position that we interview for. We interview for a lot. A lot of positions. Uh, it, it's, I'm sure, mind-numbing, painful, but... but no, it's but, really exciting, but it, actually. But actually... <laughs> it is. Uh, I, I've been on, on, actually, on some interview, uh, some, some endorsement interview committees, and uh, it is really... I, it can be, well, it can be tough just making sure you have enough people sometimes on hand to, to meet a quorum for those of us who have done that, where that's a requirement um, to get people to give up. I'm sh I can only begin to imagine, given the number of uh, endorsements you folks do, how many hours upon hours of whether it's weekends and evenings and, and who knows. Uh, you know. Well, we write a new questionnaire for each race now. Because if you think about how quickly things have changed, both good and bad, in our, you know, in our country, 
Um, and we've created separate questionnaires for judicial and separate questionnaires for uh, city council people and whatever, because those issues, we used to have a, a one that just, it was pretty much a laundry list of questions, progressive issues. And now as we've learned more about things like this condom situation with law enforcement or about um, things that are going on at the state level or at the national level, we, we find that it's really valuable to tailor the questionnaire each time we send it out, which, I mean, I got to tell you, my endorsement chair, Adam Kroll, is amazing. Um, he has spent so much time on all this. So, uh, but you know what? It We, we reap what we sow here because I got to tell you, the quality of the interviews we get, the quality of the candidates we get, um, it just it's amazing, and I feel, I feel like we can really trust our process, which makes me happy. <laughs> I actually quite enjoy it because, well, for one thing, we get to know people who are in office, um, so that's a good relationship to develop and make sure that we they listen to our concerns. But we also get to meet a lot of people who haven't run for office before, and it's exciting to see them grapple through the process and then learn and blossom into leaders in our community. Um, to give you an example of just how important her endorsement is, um, Katie Hill tells the story about how people accused her of coming out as bisexual uh, just so she could get the Stonewall endorsement. Um, <laughs> they said she wasn't really bisexual. She was just pretending to be bisexual so she could get the Stonewall endorsement. And while we will try to endorse people who are members of the LGBTQ community, we that is not the only factor we consider when we're endorsing. And yeah. given that a one of the Democrats, uh, a major candidate at this point, uh, may, may, uh, Mayor Pete. Uh, Mayor Pete. Buttigieg. 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 Good. Good. Um, uh, is in a significant way, uh, a, a path setter yeah. in that, in the regard of, in terms of being a, an openly gay candidate for president or seeking the candidacy. Um, it's a, it's no doubt an exciting time for anybody who's, who is, uh, caring about political politics, including in terms of its, uh, relationship to the LGBT community. Uh, but that said, I don't doubt for a second that Stonewall's members will be uh, will have a, a, a wide, a vast array of uh, personal choices uh, who they prefer, and that won't be the singular basis by any means for a choice to be made. I, I will say I've not been part of the Stonewall endorsement uh, process uh, committee uh, committee uh, that looks into the candidacies. But I have done it in other uh, Democratic jurisdictions, and I would say, if I could put it this way, unlike juries I've been on, which sort of match the cliche of in movies like uh, uh, Twelve Angry Men, the, the one or two or three who just will say vote anyway just to get to the ball game in time <laughs> or to get home for lunch or whatever, um, it it actually is a process where everyone who bought, who's going to be there. They're there to, to, to participate, to, to listen, to maybe to weigh in, to give it their own uh, take. They, so you never know if you're a candidate uh, filling out a form and coming up with an answer. And maybe the thing that's seemingly innocuous or that's seemingly sound that 
people who are knowledgeable on these issues are going to look at it with a very uh, significant scrutiny and, and almost under a microscope to figure out uh, what really, what's real and what's going to be a benefit and what may be suspect. And it's, it's a curious process because you did have diverse people coming at these things their own way, but it's, it's a very productive one, I think. Um, so I, I do thank you for that. I guess I want to go around once quickly to ask if there's any other final questions or comments. Uh, go ahead, Renee. Yeah, I have a question for both um, Lester and Jane. What, what initially got you to be an activist? Interesting question. <laughs> Um, you know, my family was also very involved in politics. I'm from Puerto Rico, from the times when we all had electricity. Um, <laughs> they have it again, don't they? Yeah, they do. Most people. Um, and so my family was very passionate about Puerto Rico becoming a state, so we'd go to rallies and, uh, you know, participate as much as we could. Um, my father was a veteran, uh, and it really pained me that he lived his entire life without actually being able to vote for president or to have a congressperson who represented him. There are over three million people there and they have no representation. Um, just today, the Senate finally passed some um, appropriations for Puerto Rico. It's not nearly as much as they need, uh, but there is no congressperson from Puerto Rico or the five that they should have um, to, you know, make sure that they vote for it and other people feel that they need to support them because they might need them later. So when I came to the States, when I went to college, I felt like it wasn't enough for me to vote. I needed to multiply my vote. So I started getting involved in political campaigns and <clears throat> being as active as I could. I worked really hard to elect Bill Clinton president in the 90s. And then I kind of took a break. Um... You know, I will go to fundraisers once in a while. That seemed to be the only thing they would contact me about. Um, but then the Prop 8 battle came. I knew some of the lawyers who had worked really, really hard to get us marriage equality through the courts. And before that ink was dry, there was already a proposition on the ballot to take away our rights again. And that's how I got back into the fight um, and I haven't stopped. It seems like it never stops. We take a couple of steps forward, and then we get pushed back. Now we're having judges being appointed to federal bench, the federal bench for life, who were radical opponents of marriage equality and haven't changed their minds. Um, so the battle continues. Yeah, um, I met Lester on the in the post Prop Eight period. Um, so I mentioned that I'm a straight ally, and my husband and I were sitting and watching the first marriages that happened when marriage came to California. And, you know, at that point I said, you know, okay, I, I confessed. I said, I just think it should be called something different because in my head marriage was a man and a woman. I just like sort of the red, color red is red. You know, the color blue is blue. Marriage is man and woman. And my husband pointed out to me, that I grew up in the segregated South. And so I, of all people, should know that separate but equal is never equal. And I had this sort of explosion in my head, right? Here I thought I'd come from Texas to California. I love California. And I thought I was this great, you know, enlightened human being who valued everybody. And, you know, and I realized I was harboring this, you know, this, this bias. 
Um, so I got involved in the No on Eight campaign, and I walked around um, the day of the election. We had we were holding out these handing out these cards that said No meant yes, yes meant no, because in some you know it was kind of unclear what you were voting for or against, right? And people treat they thought I was a lesbian because I was out there, and so I got some comments and I got some body language and things that I wasn't used to, and I thought this is just a little inkling of what people who are members of the LGBTQ community go through every day. Wow, this is this is like, you know, not okay. And so yeah, we elected President Obama and worked a little on that too. But and but then Prop 8 passed and it was really depressing. And I went to I saw, found this meeting um, of people who wanted to overturn Prop 8. And uh, it was called Love, Honor, Cherish where I met Lester because his car was being towed. I always remember that. <laughs> and um, then we worked like we worked our butts off trying to get Prop 8 overturned at the ballot. Um, and we weren't we had an all volunteer group. I was treasurer of the campaign and um, we got hundreds of thousands of signatures, but we needed like 800,000 signatures to get it back on the ballot. Um, and so I thought, you know, this, this is a battle that is, I'm not willing to give up now that I, I realize this battle is here. Um, and so then, like I said, I was part of Marriage Equality USA, and then I was with Stonewall Democratic Club, and, and the rest, as they say, is history. And I bet both of you know a lot of married couples that would not be uh, as, well, married with as much legal, uh, uh, franchisement, if I can put it that way, as uh, that they now have, they have because of the efforts that you guys helped uh, really champion and forward. So, can we uh, just plug the Stonewall? Oh, the Stonewall podcast, podcast again, time, yes. Please? So, it's the Stonewall Spotlight, um, and it's found on iTunes and the other purveyors of, of podcasts. You can get it through your phone, you can find it on our website. Yep. It's on our website. Uh, stonewalldems.org and one can join stonewall by visiting the website and figuring out the uh, there's the a big join link there um yes. and uh we welcome everybody really i mean we're we are a very eclectic group <laughs> just as long as you're a registered democrat you are eligible to uh join our club if you're not a democrat go first to the secretary of state's website and register to vote as a democrat then come to our website and and, and your fee. And <laughs> double check your registration if you've renewed your license recently through the DMV because somehow some of those have been changed to no party preference instead right. of Democrat. And it is a very vibrant, uh, vibrantly Democratic uh, club. So do want to just salute all the members. We, we only have a handful of microphones here, hence <laughs> the limits on this podcast. But um, you guys have a, you folks have a, a tremendous board and uh, a set of officers, too many to name, but thank you to all of them for what they do. And, uh, and the members themselves, as I guess I've really been insistent upon here, the members are not, do not go quietly. Yeah. They, <laughs> they speak up, they show up, uh, they, and, and the, the causes of spouse are really uh, Quite significant. So, so it, this kind of effort at a club level uh, makes a huge difference, and I think Stonewall uh, epitomizes that, exemplifies that. So, I again want to thank 
uh, Lester Ponte, the president of Stonewall Democratic Club, Jane Wishon, the uh, political vice president, Renee Nahum, uh, the former political director of the LA County Democratic Party. And, uh, and with that, just uh, say well, thank you thank to all you. for listening. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. So, just like Stonewall, let's all go out and make the world a better place. Can I hear you say hallelujah? And folks, feel free to share a comment, question, or idea about our podcasts. After all, our podcast team newbies are still learning the ropes. Maybe you want to be a special guest. Email slenunciator at gmail.com. Remember, you and your homies can find more podcasts at slenunciator.com. But first... Let us all join in a moment of reverence to thank our maestro of musical mayhem, Fingers Del Rey, for his magic grappling with all things ivory.